Hello and welcome to a very normal episode of Into the Aether. It's a low-key video game podcast. My name is Brendan Bigley. For context, we are recording this normal episode in the middle of a two-day event of recording the 3DS bonus, which I think might end up being the longest thing we've we've done. That's absolutely not true, but it feels (laughs) that way, I think. Yeah, I think the longest we've gone in like a single session was uh game of the year 2023 at aj's which was i think six hours yeah that was a long one but i think you know it, it will be somewhere between that and games of the decade i yeah. imagine <laughs> yeah it's it's a it's definitely a long one um yeah yeah we we recorded all day yesterday and then we got just i guess for context for patrons you'll be happy to hear that we set it up in a way that i think is much more listenable than the original idea which is like we're just gonna talk about every game that we played and yeah. now it's we set it up so we're talking about games by the year they came out uh and we got from 20 11 which is the beginning of the 3ds through 2015 and in 2015 we talked about box boy and we were just like yeah it's really good all right next game and that was the point where my brain was like we gotta stop we can't keep going today we need to we need to get some fucking sleep yeah you'll you'll hear it when it comes out i think i'm really excited to share it but yeah box boy was the point of no return yeah, sure. that was like that was really the alarm bells you asked me like sounding. do you think you, you you think we should keep going and i was like i think we can at least do up to 2018 and then the minute we decided not to we both went to sleep like yeah. immediately <laughs> just like ragdolled to sleep yeah yeah so I'm anyway. excited to do the latter half of it because I think the uh, kind of twilight years of the 3DS are really interesting. And we also got some great listener questions as well. So yeah, uh, excited to do that later today. Yeah. Uh, so that'll that'll be out in uh, the beginning of March, hopefully, is the idea. At least before March 27th, when the 3DS eShop closes is the idea. Yeah. So look forward to that. If you are a patron of the show at any level, you will get access to that yeah. episode. That's um, the last one that will be available for a dollar. Um, yeah. is the swan song of dollar tier content yeah uh and the swan song of normal handhelds from Nintendo. <laughs> that's true a lot of swans a lot of a lot of swans in this episode <laughs> that's, a, that's a lot of swans <laughs> <laughs> i don't know what that is who was that you want to talk about new games i would love to i'm really it's kind of amazing that because i think sometimes when we're in full prep mode for like a really big episode sometimes the normal episode becomes lighter but we came to today like pretty ready to go like we have three games i think we're actively excited to talk about yeah the first one we're talking about which is like a dragon ishin i have not played yet but i did watch a bit of your stream and i love yakuza now renamed like a dragon Mm -hmm. i want to hear all about it yeah i've been playing this game a lot a lot um i just like this morning crossed the 11 hour mark on that game i i'm like fully in love with it so if you don't know about yakuza and like a dragon if you're a more recent listener because i feel like we haven't talked about them in a while i think it's been like a year since we last talked about yakuza or somewhere in that yakuza 7 or or yakuza like a dragon which is now more confusing than it needs to be uh that was i think our entry point largely into the series yeah we played we played a big chunk of that i had played judgment um a couple of years beforehand um but like never got that far into it i think i got like maybe five to ten hours in if, if i'm not mistaken um and ended up dropping it but that was supposed to be my entry point to yakuza and it just like ended up not working out for me uh like a dragon really kind of like lit up all the synapses in my head that was like oh i'm starting to understand why people like this game and then uh last year i dipped into kiwami which is a remake of the first game for the ps2 and played through the hell 
hell out of that thing. Like really just tore through it in like a week uh, or something like that. It's one of the shorter ones, which is nice. Yeah, uh, it's uh, yeah. yeah, I think. Yeah. And then moved on to zero, which, you know, then I got arrested for having that opinion that you should play Kiwami <laughs> then zero. Um, and now that I'm out of jail, I'm continuing to fuck up uh, my life by playing Like a Dragon Ishin, which is completely unrelated to the mainline Yakuza series yeah. uh, entirely before I finish zero. But all of that said... The Yakuza games for the longest time, at least from like the first one up through when Zero, which is a prequel released, have been these kind of like really hyper dense recreations of pieces of Japan, of pieces of cities in Japan. Um, the, the idea being like you're kind of, you know, a guy literally in the Yakuza, sometimes kicked out of the Yakuza, depends on which game you're playing, making your way through these kind of like seedy areas and and just like enjoying nightlife, essentially. So there's like a main, very melodramatic soap opera adjacent plot that's always happening. But alongside that, while you're making your way from point A to point B in the story, there's like a billion things for you to do. You can go like race little, uh, little like RC cars. You can uh, go to karaoke bars and sing. You can have like drinking contests with people in bars there's like a ton of stuff to do uh, I, I think half of the reason that people love the Yakuza games is just the amount of mini games that they include in there um, and it's hard to not do them I've found that's I think the bigger thing for me when I started to fall in love with this franchise is like it's hard to not dip into every building that you can walk into and just see what's in there yeah and usually you'll find something like batting cages which will just eat up the next three hours of your life and like I, I think the magic trick of Yakuza is that all that stuff I would argue is just as important as the main story to yeah. the overall experience. I think like in some in some games where there is like that side content, it can kind of feel sort of far removed or it feels like I don't know. Sometimes it can kind of take me out of it where it's like, yeah. for instance, I think a good example of this is in Horizon Forbidden West. There is essentially like a Warhammer esque game that everyone <laughs> plays that you can yeah. play at any time. It's a lot of fun. Like I really liked it, but I kept kind of feeling like, why is Alloy playing Warhammer when there's like an Enterprise draft? waiting to be climbed outside right whereas like in yakuza it actually adds to the character development of kiryu and ichiban to see them have this downtime totally in some ways it's very much like the divide in persona between dungeon crawling and the life sin like mm -hmm. the kind of absurd comedy lower stakes side quest of yakuza like completely complement the Breaking Bad drama of it all. Yeah. Or not even, I guess Breaking Bad's not a perfect example, but that kind of level of like high stakes crime drama. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think yeah. you're right. Yeah. Because Kiryu as a character, at least in the, the original Yakuza lineage until like a dragon came out, he's like a really kind of stoic, like almost like iron faced dude. You know, he, he feels very uh, unapproachable in a lot of ways. Um, and is is really like bound by his beliefs and his honor and is like, yeah, man, I'm just going to beat the shit out of you if you step to me, you know. But then you go and do the karaoke sections and you're, you see a completely different side of that guy, which I think is, as you said, really important just for kind of highlighting and rounding out this character who seems like a guy that would be the protagonist of like a Grand Theft Auto game. It turns right. out he has like a lot more going for him. And that's one piece of the game. I feel like the game kind of or all of these games, the franchise as a whole kind of has like three distinct pillars. The first one is this main, you know, melodrama plot. The second one are all these mini games. And 
the third one are all of the side stories that you can do. And the side stories is where you get like that complete other side of Kiryu as well, which is, you know, stuff as simple as I'm just thinking of this one side quest in Yakuza Zero. I think that I talked about on the show where there was like a, a woman who uh, was trying to sell matchbooks just to like make ends meet because her, her parents were sick. And she was like, well, the only thing we have are these matchbooks. So I'm just going to sell them on the street uh, until we have enough money for like medical bills. And Kiryu just like stands there for literally like 14 hours and helps her sell matchbooks, you know, things like that really really aid that character development and when you have that going on through literally eight games right you have that going from yakuza one through six uh and then also zero and then he pops up again in like a dragon it's like you get this really 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 interested fully rounded character that can really only be accomplished by devoting that much time to exploring one dude's brain and in a video game too i think yakuza like real as as much as it kind of plays out like you're watching a tv series it really does take full advantage of being a video game yeah Uh, especially with I, i think another angle too i think you're right to have those three pillars as like the foundation of yakuza what i find also interesting is that when you're actually fighting so like the main like meat of the game is the combat where mm-hmm. it's essentially like a you know street brawling you're you know doing like arcadey combos which will you know erupt into taking like a bike and smashing it into someone's face but like all of that violence is treated in such a video gamey way yeah. that it totally diffuses like the situation in a good way yeah. like i think it actually even though the series is about like crime it clearly has a stance against mindless violence in a sense you know i think it's like it's it's showing you violence in a way that feels cathartic and kind of funny when it's actually happening but when you're just exploring the city like there's no way for kiryu to like in gta for example you can just attack anybody or like Mm -hmm. you know throw a grenade into a building but like in yakuza like you can really only exist peacefully and like positively within the environment yeah yeah the uh, the, i think the where you're getting to is like the only time that you're fighting is if somebody approaches you and tries to fight you first right you can never never initiate (laughs) combat with somebody you know like a like a random bystander on the street somebody needs to show up and try and like pickpocket cure you or just beat the shit out of him in an alleyway for you to actually engage in combat and yakuza does such a good job making you want to punch the enemies in the face like they usually give you like a five minutes like cure you it takes a lot to get him to want to fight like he's usually like even if you like get in his face he'll just ignore you yeah it's only when you've like done something like clearly morally wrong or you're not going to stop then you know he doesn't hold back yeah frequently in kiwami and zero what will happen is somebody will like rush up behind him and try and punch him and he'll just dodge out of the way and be like well you threw the first punch now you're gonna eat fucking concrete man my favorite thing about yakuza is you know like shit is real when the jackets come off and the back tattoo is real. there's such theatrics to the game like it it does such a good job making you like jump out of your seat yeah and scream like fuck yes yeah Um, yeah it's also like I think I'm sure we've had this conversation before, but thinking about when Yakuza one, like the PS2 game came out and like, you know, I, I think Yakuza as a series also has a lot of issues and we've talked about that before. And there's a lot of great writing about sort of like the uncharacteristic shortcomings of some of the games. Yeah, it, it's a ser- it's a series that's like simultaneously um, really progressive. And also I feel like it's taking a couple steps back every once right. in a while where it's, where it's like you kind of get disappointed by it because it seems like the, the larger philosophy of the game is 
living peacefully and making sure that everyone gets what they need to like live a happy life. Um, And then every once in a while, it'll just, you know, punch down at like an already marginalized group of people in ways that fucking suck. Exactly. But I think Kiryu is a really interesting character to be born out of the era of Kratos and like totally, you know, GTA protagonists. I I think he's a honestly, I think Yakuza does a good job kind of exploring toxic masculinity and like Mm -hmm. you know also just sort of the preconceived notion of like honor and like what status means and like who wants it for what reasons like all of that is really absolutely fascinating yeah especially i mean in ishin yeah doubly so it's sort of saying the quiet parts out loud and that's 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 a great segue yeah like like a dragon ishin is a game that came out in japan on the ps3 and never was released here i feel like it's one of those ones where fans of the franchise have just been like clamoring for it and hoping to god that it shows up one day yeah um but like realistically it was never going to happen and then here we are here it is it's happening uh and it's out it's interesting i actually I, w- I was hanging around uh just like in forums and stuff of yakuza fans yesterday just like curious what people thought about it and i found out that the game is getting review bombed in japan uh at the moment because people are like why why even release this like it's exciting for everyone outside of japan but in japan they're like we just wanted a new yakuza game why are you re-releasing <laughs> this one that already exists uh because they didn't really change a whole lot i think that's kind mm. of the bigger thing about it is like so it's it's an unreal engine which is kind of a big shift for yakuza uh because uh, rgg the studio that's always made these games famously has their dragon engine which is what a lot of these games have been built on so this one's an unreal engine which is kind of like a big shift um i actually i saw a great interview with uh one of the lead developers of this game talking about uh why they went with unreal engine for this game instead of dragon engine they were like we built dragon engine from the ground up to make nighttime look spectacular and unreal engine is really great at displaying daytime and and having you know realistic lighting and shadows and things like that and that's extremely evident in ishin because ishin takes place in the 1800s and there's not a lot of nightlife there's not you know you don't have the neon signs you don't even really have electricity like there's not a whole lot going on by way of nightlife really so a lot of the game is presented like fully at daytime or like sunset and sunrise things like that where you have these really really stark shadows coming from wherever the sun is uh, because you also don't have like skyscrapers or anything you're you're in the 1800s version of kyoto which is mostly just you know it's definitely like dense in the same way that uh, all of the places in the previous Yakuza games have been. But because you don't have skyscrapers and neon signs and stuff, it's really just kind of like low to the ground. And the density comes from like little market streets and just like people going about their business, you know, couriers running by and, you know, samurai walking around, just kind of like patrolling the streets, looking for evildoers, things like that. And it's a complete it's a completely different headspace that it kind of puts you in while playing this game. It feels very Yakuza in a way that I really appreciate but it feels like a completely different flavor of it. I'm kind of amazed that they haven't made more of these because it feels like such a slam dunk. Like as soon yeah. as you start playing it, it's just like you could just put Yakuza in any other place. I think one of the fun things about that franchise is Kamurocho, which is the like fictionalized uh, remake of an actual place in Japan um, that a lot of those games are set in. It remains the same from game to game. It's just they increase the density of what's in Kamurocho from game to game, which is really cool. So like places that used to be inaccessible are now building that you can walk into you know between things like yakuza one and two even and the act of learning that place and like i i have like a full mental map of kamurocho in my head i'm generally like in real life very good at directions and just like general orientation and it took me like through the end of yakuza one to be like i know kamurocho so when i started 
Yakuza Zero, I was like, I, I already felt at home, even though it was the 80s instead of, um, you know, the more present day or at least present in PS2 standards. I was like, yeah, I already know exactly. Like, I know where Pink Street is and I know how to get there from where I am now. It's interesting playing a Yakuza game and needing to learn all that again with Ishin, like having a completely different city. Um, as I mentioned, it's like an early version of Kyoto and it's like a pretty dense and sprawling place. And it's it's fun to to need to learn again in that way, like kind of trying to find my way around uh, that city. But plot wise, the game is fascinating. So I I, I want to give a shout out to um, the Resties, the Besties spinoff podcast. Um, they have a great they have a great episode that's kind of about like the historical importance of this game and, and what it's trying to tackle. But essentially, uh, it's like all mostly real stuff that happened you know it's definitely like a super dramatized like almost made for tv (laughs) as i mentioned before soap opera version of this history but it's history that like most people in japan know because it's kind of the end of the Edo period and the beginning of the next wave of japanese politics specifically the end of their kind of like isolationist era when the rest of the world is like hey we're here and we're all sharing technology and ideas with one another and you seem to be completely closed off from everybody else that's similar to uh when the great ace attorney chronicles takes place it is a really fascinating period of history and, and I think similarly dramatized in the world of Ace Attorney. But that yeah. game, I think, does a good job kind of exploring like the divide in cultures and like in that game too, like the legal systems work differently. Right. And sort of exploring like what does it mean to be a lawyer in England versus in Japan? Yeah. So th- this game, this game is set in that time period and you play as a real person who lived in that time period and was like famous for kind of helping the upheaval of of the end of that period and into Japan more widely accepting the idea of like foreign nations trading ideas, which is cool. The interesting thing about it is that every character in this fictionalized version of history is played by a character from another Yakuza game. So it's that's it's, amazing. It's literally like. All of the characters from across the Yakuza series are in a play where they're each cast as different historical figures. So Kiryu from the mainline Yakuza series, who is the protagonist of all those games, is also the protagonist of this game, but he has a different name. But it's like his face and his vibe. You know, it's like they haven't changed really anything about him except his name in this case. So you would be, you know, I, I think you'd be forgiven for just seeing a trailer for this game and assuming that that's Kiryu again. Uh, yeah. But it's it's Kiryu playing this guy named Ryota, uh, who is, again, famous in Japanese history. And the plot of the game is fascinating. I'll, I'll wrap up like the first 10 hours very quickly. This isn't I don't think this is like spoiler shit. This is just kind of like the main plot. But very early on, you have a father figure who gets assassinated. I won't say why, because I think the political intrigue is really interesting. And if you like hop on Wikipedia and look up like what actually happened in this time period, it's all fascinating. But uh, your father figure gets assassinated and you immediately assume a new identity to try and find the guy who did it. The only thing that you know about this person, he was wearing a mask when he when he killed him. Um, the only thing you know about him is that he's he's using a really, really uh, kind of obscure fighting style with a katana. And you're kind of on a quest to find who in Japan knows that fighting style, where it came from and how many people know it. And it turns out that like very few people do. It's like maybe 10 people total in Japan. And they're all part of this like political faction. That's kind of like an early version of what became the Yakuza in a way. So so Ryota assumes a new identity uh, and then enters that political faction 
immediately gets promoted to captain because he's like you know hot and stoic and good at fighting with a sword <laughs> and they're like yeah he's got he's got upper management written all over him and you're essentially immediately embedded with all of the other captains of this squad who are all villains from other yakuza games playing these different captains in this squad that's so which fun. is incredible and they all kind of like match the vibe that you would expect like they all kind of you know when when certain people show up if you know them from previous yakuza games you kind of have like this acknowledgement moment that's like oh shit this is interesting i wonder what their vibe is going to be and usually who they were in a previous yakuza game informs what they're like in this game so like one of the first people that you run into early on in the game is you're kind of like estranged partner slash like turned villain from the first game and he immediately hates you right off the bat as soon as you meet him because you're getting promoted so quickly uh, and you need to fight him and it's like oh yeah that is, that is exactly how this would play out if these two people met in the 1800s right uh, which is very very cool but you're now you're now in this space where it's like okay, you need to systematically go through each of these other captains in your own squad and figure out which of them is the person who killed your dad, um, which is just like a great setup for a game, I think, and a great setup for any story. Yeah, it's very like kind of Monte Cristo almost, where it's like this sort of revenge tale. Right. It's like Kill Bill if Uma Thurman's character didn't know who Bill was. You know? <laughs> kill who? Yeah, yeah. exactly. It, it is Kill Who. It's like you just know the organization. But you need to figure out which one is Bill. That sounds awesome. Yeah, it's a it's a great idea. Um, it's a great conceit, and uh, I'm I'm loving it. I think I think the thing about this game that's really working for me specifically is the ways in which the things that I know and love about this franchise are kind of transported back in time. So like even the mini games that you kind of know and love from other Yakuza games, like the batting cages, are technically present here. It's just in this case, it's a guy who invents a cannon, and he's like, I need somebody to uh shoot cannonballs at and see if you can slice them out of the air with your katana <laughs> you know and it, i was like in the middle of doing this you know I, I ran into this guy he was like hey can you help me test out this cannon i was in the middle of doing it and i was like when i was done with my first like wave of cannonballs i was like oh my god this is the batting cages and i have that over and over and over again where i keep running into things that i don't even realize are the like 1800s version of the thing that i know from kamarocho and the other yakuza games yeah i love that by itself but on top of that i think the game is really interested in what we were talking about before which is kind of like the wealth disparity the class disparity because this is an era of japan that is like so in turmoil because of that because there are so many people People lining their pockets and so many people living in poverty a lot of the game is really interested in who has wealth and who doesn't who has power and who doesn't and how do we how do we as a as a society and as a nation overturn that and create something better and all of the different ways in which that's possible i think one of the more interesting side stories um is this group of people who you can see dancing all over uh kyo which is what kyoto was before it became kyoto you can see these people dancing all over kyo and it's a form of protest and initially the idea behind this protest was that they're chanting this thing over and over again that is essentially like you know uh things are bad why not make them better you know like why not use your power to make things better and over time that kind of gets distorted and twisted into like nothing matters so these people are, are chanting over and over again like nothing matters nothing matters nothing matters and starting to use that to enact violence on one another in a way that is almost you know like existentialist or nihilist in a way right um, because they're like well you know we're so poor we have no food we have no money we have no prospects because the wealth disparity is so great 
So why not just wreak havoc? Why not just go after, you know, the people who are lining their pockets and just like fucking murder them in the street? But also it turns them against one another where it's like everyone is just kind of out for themselves. And Nyoto, as the, as the protagonist, starts to see this happening and keeps running into these groups over and over again, like committing violence on one another. And is like, there's got to be a better way to do this. There's got to be another way to to handle this. Um, I won't I won't spoil how that line ends, but you keep running into the people dancing in the street over and over again. And it's, it's a fascinating story. It's a really fascinating story. And that just keeps happening over and over again. I'm finding, you know, even though I love Yakuza Kiwami and I loved what I played of Zero so far, I'm really, really drawn into this time period and in the side stories and in the mini games in this game and the main plot as i mentioned is like a pretty clean plot i think there's a lot of the historical context that they don't explain to you which is a little frustrating every once in a while there's a guide button that pops up while people are talking where it'll like pop up a little vocabulary sheet that'll like show you what people are talking about you know just to try and like catch you up with the history but it definitely doesn't go far enough to actually inform you like you really do actually need to spend a little time on wikipedia or something to kind of get a better idea of what's going on politically and historically if you weren't taught it in school like most people in japan were right right but even with that i'm finding it to be a really approachable plot like at the end of the day even though it is something that actually happened in real life like the the plot version of it in like a dragon ishin feels pretty cut and dry where I, I don't feel lost at any point i know what my goal is my goal is to find the guy that's using this fighting style yeah i feel like yakuza always really benefit from like very very simple plot structure so they can have fun kind of exploring more more you know intimate ideas in the side stories yes like like a dragon too i mean it's sort of an inverse of the original kind of origin story of kiryu where it's like you know protagonist is wronged by the organization he trusted and is now trying to figure out what happened basically Mm -hmm. uh or in ichiban's case like you want to sort of reunite with your father figure yeah i think that's kind of common and i guess you could call this an open world game in some aspects yeah definitely but i think in a lot of open world games or games that are at least acknowledging the player may deviate pretty far from the main goal usually the main goal is like kind of a MacGuffin or like a red herring whereas like and like a dragon I always love doing side quests but like when eventually I got another beat about Ichiban and his father figure I was like into it I was like, this yeah. is so cool this is what I want more of this but I need to like pace myself so I don't die of a heart attack yeah the the end I just I will never forget my experience the only one that I've finished of these so far is Kawami uh, which is again the remake of the first one and I will never forget my experience finishing that game because I like popped off the couch and then finished the game standing up because I, it was like so exciting to get yeah. to the end of it like even though they have all of this great side content that is so worth exploring the main plot usually you you can't help but get emotionally invested in oh yeah i've had I, even the side stuff in ishin is really standing out to me in, in this one there was one plot line that involved um this little girl who had to move away from from kyo and this like little boy that she was friends with uh who was like really upset about her moving away that like i literally teared up during the like most of the side quests and then again jumped out of the couch and was like yes out loud <laughs> when it finished just because of the way it wrapped up it's like it's amazing how good they are at just tugging on your heartstrings at every oh, yeah. given moment in every way that you can 
tug on somebody's heartstrings. I love when Kiryu is like randomly asked to help kids out because he doesn't yeah. reduce the sternness or the like yeah. directness of his face, but he's like he just takes a child's problem at face value and helps them without thinking about it. Yeah, I just I just ran into this kid like right before we started recording who uh, was crying about uh, needing to eat vegetables, and Ryota shows up and is like, uh, you know, classic kids they don't want to eat vegetables, and then the the kid's mom walks away, and the kid's like, I'm gonna run away from home, and he's like, Well, you should really eat your vegetables and the kid's like no 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 i love vegetables all i want to eat is vegetables my mom <laughs> keeps making me eat meat and tofu and rice and i and i never get to eat vegetables and i just want vegetables and uh Ryota just starts giving him vegetables one of the fun things about this game i haven't even mentioned is you get a farm at a certain point you get a whole second oh, house cool. and a farm that you like have to tend to and you like fulfill orders and stuff um, in a lot of these games, there's usually like a side thing where you get to like manage a business. And this is this game's version of that. That's fun. Where you just kind of like have this house with this big farm and like a chicken coop and you can start raising animals and stuff. Um, and you just decide what to plant and you start fulfilling orders and making money that way, which is like a total fun side thing that you could do really at any moment. Yeah. The business management side quest of like a dragon was like almost as good as the whole game mm -hmm. and that that's considering everything we've been talking about for the last half hour yeah <laughs> amazing yeah, yeah. I, I i love this series this is another one where like this is a a bonus that we have planned you know at some point in time i think the plan right now is to do like zero to kuami two. yeah so that i we want to give ourselves time to enjoy them so that's kind of like a, a white whale for us yeah uh I, w I will say deviating from ishin for a second um i've been playing zero again because ishin is getting me like so back in the yakuza mindset i've been playing zero again uh via uh x cloud on the retroid pocket three which like i was already playing zero via xcloud on the steam deck and enjoying it and having a good time like playing that game handheld i think that these games like would be great handheld if they reported them to switch rgg has mentioned many times that they have no interest in doing that at all um which is fine you know do it do what you want to but these games really do work very well in handheld mode and having it on the retroid pocket specifically is like an actually pocketable like small device that has a screen that is big enough to like understand what's going on still i was kind of worried that like maybe reading subtitles would be hard or whatever uh not at all it's great it's an amazing way to play that game if you have a thing that is capable of game streaming like your phone and a controller for example great way to play yakuza and also all of them except for this new one and i think lost judgment are available on game pass right now via xcloud they're really available which is great and they're often on sale i have yeah. a... oh they're all in the playstation version of game pass also whatever that thing is called yeah oh that's awesome I have Yakuza 0 on Steam Deck and I'll probably get a few other ones on there too because yeah. like it, it is we, like it, it kind of fits both like we we talk a lot about like what games work best handheld or not and like it has enough spectacle that playing it on the big screen is great. I honestly yeah. think maybe like doing side quests handheld you know main quests on the TV mm. might be the move. That's a good idea. Yeah. Thankfully I have the Steam Deck dock which I've been using a lot which is interesting. It's really great. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. It's a great uh, way the video games. But yeah, Yakuza is awesome. I definitely will probably purchase each in the minute we're done recording. Uh, so I would recommend it. And I'm not done talking that. about it, Stephen. <laughs> I'm sorry. You, you got wrap-up voice, but I'm not I, wrapping up I, yet. I wasn't playing you off, I promise. <laughs> and I'd like to thank my mom. And uh, I'd also like to thank uh, the person Dunkin' Donuts who always gives me a free donut if I if I get a bakery thing. Okay. The, the main thing that I want to talk about with, with Ishin, um, or, or the two main things, number one is like, should you play this game if you haven't played the other ones? The other one is just like the combat in this game, I think is actually really worth touching on because it's so different to what all the other games are doing. Right. Um, so 
the combat in in previous Yakuza games up through Like a Dragon, which was Yakuza 7. I, I guess it's probably worth talking about that real, real quick. These games have been called Yakuza in the West, but in Japan have always been called Like a Dragon. It's very much like kind of a Final Fantasy, you know, over in, in Japan, they followed a certain numbering system. We got a completely different numbering system or like in Japan, Dragon Quest was Dragon Quest. And here we got Dragon Warrior until eventually Square and Enix were like, OK, we'll call it Dragon Quest everywhere. Similarly, you have the Yakuza games up through seven, which is called Yakuza Like a Dragon. And then the eighth game which is not out yet it's in development the eighth game will be called like a dragon eight so they're i think retroactively saying like we're gonna keep this naming convention everywhere um so like a dragon ishin is the game that came out in japan and is called that here as well it's kind of like if they named ff7 final fantasy 3 final fantasy 7 and we're like we, you know yes. like we have to just sort of like deal with that from now on yeah which is you know it's fine uh yeah, I, th- yeah. I think it, i think it's easy enough to be like yeah play yakuza zero through six and then play yakuza like a dragon and that's the right. seventh one and then like a dragon eight it's it's bizarre but then there's also the judgment spinoffs point being all of those games except for yakuza like a dragon which is the seventh one all have this kind of like street brawler combat that we were talking about before which essentially involves like random thugs or you know if you're in the main plot like bosses and things running up to you on the street and being like hey we're just gonna kick the shit out of you and try and steal your money and you just kind of like it's not exactly button mashing it's it's like more it's more complex than that there are like combos and things that you can do uh but you're essentially just pressing like the X and Y buttons on the Xbox controller to do like light attacks and heavy attacks and then kind of alternating the ways in which you're doing them. You have like a a parry button, you have kind of like a dodge button, you have a grab button, things like that. Uh, And that's how you can like grab a moped off the street and like use it to cave somebody's head in. I think I think where the combat becomes interesting and fun is the use of the environment and like kind of building up to those moments. It's always so pleasing to to pull them off. Yeah. Um, Kiru can be pretty brutal when he's in a fight (laughs) yeah a lot of that stems from the various fighting styles that you have right so so the whole thing is that the d-pad is mapped to four different fighting styles that you have access to at any given time you know there's one that's like a really kind of quick one it's called rush where you just like kind of get in a lot of quick hits but you're not really doing that much damage but you can like at least interrupt somebody who is like gearing up for kind of a bigger attack or if they're like a bigger slower enemy using the rush kind of thing will will give you the edge in that case uh or somebody who's like you know just kind of like more middle of the road you could use just like a standard fighting move or there's also another one that's like you just put as much weight behind every punch as you possibly can and that's obviously much slower and much more powerful it's a little bit riskier things like that and that's kind of been the vibe for all of those games including the judgment games which are uh, two spinoffs of yakuza like a dragon uh or sorry yakuza like a dragon introduced a turn-based combat thing we'll talk about that one day when we eventually return to that game and probably the eighth game um <laughs> but like a dragon Ishin, I think is really notable because instead of having these four different like you know uh fisticuff fighting styles you have actual weapons at your disposal the main the main form of combat that you have is your katana because again it's the 1800s in Japan so you have a katana as like your main fighting style uh and that's if you press right on the d-pad if you press down you put your katana away and it is just like fists which is great for certain situations like fighting big groups of people you can kind of do like a big arm swing and take out a bunch of guys at once or you know if you can you know dodge a guy who's coming at you with a sword you can like grab him as he runs by you and then like just you know punch his face into a wall over and over again things like that but also because we're like in this era of the beginning of kind of technological advancement you also if you press left on the d-pad have access to a gun which you can use to just shoot people 
You don't have to worry about how much ammo you have. You don't have to worry about reloading at all. You just keep pressing the X button and, <laughs> and Ryota will just keep shooting a guy over and over and over and over again, which creates honestly comedy in a lot of instances. Like there, there have been more than one moment that I've played in the main plot where like I'll be presented with just a hallway full of guys who are all running at me with swords and I'm standing at the end just shooting them with a gun. <laughs> it's very much that scene in uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark where Indiana Jones just shoots the guy. Yeah. Um, famously improvised Harrison Ford moment. But you just get to do that over and over again. And it's like wildly overpowered, if I'm being totally honest. I don't think it's balanced, like literally at all. But it's really fun for that reason. And then if you press up on the D-pad, you have this version of fighting that's called Wild Dancer. And that's you have your katana in your right hand and your gun in your left hand. And you're literally like spinning around doing these like very uh, elegant moves uh, like slicing people, parrying or dodging away, shooting a guy who's behind you, things like that. It's awesome. I think it's like the richest and most interesting this combat has ever been for me. It's like re- it's really, really interesting swapping between these different styles because the sword, you would always think like, OK, I'm like a Ronin in Japan. Like, of course, the sword is the way to go. And usually that's not the right move. Usually the right move is weirdly enough, the fist style or just like pulling your gun out and trying your best with that, you know, just running away from a guy and shooting him. I find that to be absolutely thrilling. Like the combat has not gotten old for me. I, I find that every once in a while, if I play Yakuza like too much in a, in a couple sittings, I'll start to get a little bit like, OK, I get it. Like, I don't need to fight everybody, whatever. I am getting into every single fight. I'm like 10 hours in this game. I can't <laughs> stop fighting people. I love it every single time. The combat actually does get kind of difficult especially in boss fights I found as well you need you need to employ the different fighting styles and different strategies like usually in boss fights which I find exciting um, because generally speaking in the other Yakuza games that I've played I would just like pick the fighting style that works best against that boss and then just use that and in this game it's like well the katana is really good for like 1v1 damage dealing kind of stuff uh, but usually bosses will like switch up what they're doing or like they'll have a katana and maybe it's best to use the gun in that case things like that I love it I think it's really 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 stellar it's like maybe the most interesting this combat's ever been uh, and I'm glad we finally got it here in the states for that reason and it really makes me want them to do more of it uh, or at least like incorporate more weapons into the other games because in the other games you can in your inventory have other weapons which are usually like sometimes they're like normal things you know sometimes you'll just like get a dagger and you get to use a dagger until it like breaks and sometimes they also have like goof ones like there's uh i think it's i think it's in kiwami or it might be zero i forget which one you can get a fish that's a machine gun um <laughs> things like that like in, in this game already um oh no, no no it's it's yakuza zero i have nunchucks that are also two sardines uh that i can use it's really stupid but for the most part you're just using your fists in in those games and i I love the this this uh this addition of weapons like to the main fighting styles that is something i really liked about the turn-based combat and like a dragon where Mm -hmm. uh there's a character who is your like partner in the business management minigame and she like all her moves are like ninja attacks but with office supplies so she has like rulers and like thumbtacks and stuff it's amazing yeah I, I honestly really liked how they interpreted like Yakuza turn-based combat. I just think that game, the two big things that kind of got in the way for me were in the last act of the game, there's like a battle tower that's introduced as like a side quest. You can like level up here and get cool items, but you actually have to do it because in the next area of like the mandatory story, enemies are like 20 levels higher than where you're at in the game. Mm. So it, they just sort of make 
make you grind for like a long time. And then so, the final, final boss of that game, I technically beat it because I got to the final boss and then just watched the ending on YouTube. But like <laughs> that final boss, I like grinded for. I would like buff my, like I did everything at my disposal and he would still one shot party wipe me. And I'm like, mm. this isn't fun anymore. Like I'm not really playing this game for the turn-based combat, even though it is like a fun spectacle. So I think there's like definitely a lot of potential there. I wonder if they're going to stick with it for the future of the series or if that was just sort of like a one-off experiment. They've said that they're going to continue doing turn-based combat for the main like a dragon series and then okay. ju- judgment will be the, the brawler combat from now on. I think that makes sense because I think that there's like there's definitely potential. So I'm, I'm excited to see what they do in the next one. Yeah. Because um, I think it was definitely a proof of concept and the things that got in the way weren't fundamental to the combat. They were just like instances of the game itself. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we'll see how that yeah, the, the other thing about that game is just like it's really long, like story wise, it's the longest game story wise of all of them. And simultaneously, because the combat has shifted to turn base, that means that all of the combat takes longer as well. So the game just ends up being like doubly long, which I think yeah. is it, it's kind of hard to wrap your head around. But the story is fucking spectacular. Yeah, it, it sticks the landing for sure. There's definitely a lot of fumbles in some of the like stories with the supporting cast. But Ichiban's main story is fantastic and worth yeah. seeing through. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And and I think that that's a good segue into, I just think, the larger question of like, okay, you've heard me talking about this game for like 40 minutes at this point. Should you pick it up if you've never played a Yakuza game before? I think this is like, it's such a hard question to answer, unfortunately, because I, I have gone through this very weird on-ramp, which is like playing Kiwami first, and now I'm going back in time to Zero because Zero is a prequel to all the other games. So I've gone from like, you know, the, the 2000s to now the 80s, and then I'm going to go back to Kiwami 2 and just like see how that goes. But a lot of people, their on-ramp was seven, like a dragon. And this game is totally unrelated to all the other ones. I mean, it's like, you know, it it has nothing to do with the plots of any of the other games. So it kind of raises a question, like, is this actually a good one to start with because it's unhooked from everything else? And I don't really know the answer to that, unfortunately. The, the, The thing for me is like, your brain lights up. You kind of have those like aha moments when you see characters that you know from other games. And I feel like that will only be better if you've played more of the other mainline games. So there is there's something in my brain that's saying like this should be the last one that you play hypothetically. So you kind of understand those references. You understand what all those characters are representing. What's funny, though, is that literally every Yakuza game has that except for maybe the actual first one. Like they all kind of. Yes want to wow you with cameos of people you know so it's sort of like (laughs) it's sort of adjusting the level of that like because even like a dragon or yakuza like a dragon yakuza 7 let's say (laughs) that was a reboot of the series new character new story but like without saying too much like eventually there isn't a dependency on knowing old characters but you will enjoy it more if you do yes it's a little bit of a lie that that's like a total reboot i would say yeah it is very much a continuation still especially now knowing that yakuza 8 or sorry like a dragon 8 is going to include both ichiban and kiryu as like dual protagonists of that game it's like oh that's so good yeah it's a great idea but it means that the people who onboarded with seven are like you know they have to go back and play one through six now sorry zero through six i think given what i've read and stuff i I think there's there's no like 100 percent perfect answer but i was i I think Kuami or Zero would be would make the most sense. Yeah, if you're most start people will say Zero and Zero was made to be a prequel. But I found right. that in the couple hours I played of Zero before going into Kuami, 
that there were moments that were supposed to be like applause moments where it's like, oh, you already know who all these people are that I wasn't understanding. So I was like, OK, let me go to Kiwami and try that game instead. And then Kiwami, as a remake of the first game, introduced a lot of ideas and characters from zero. So you kind of have this like weird Ouroboros of references yeah. and there's no <laughs> right. there's really no clean on ramp. I found that Kiwami was the better start for me because the game is shorter and because for the most part, the story remains unchanged. So you're still getting introduced to people in ways that feel like actual introductions instead of yeah. like instead of like, you know, the applause sign turning on in the studio audience. I'm kind of with you. I mean, I haven't played much of Zero. And because I remember I, I started Zero like when we first started doing the show and I, I didn't really get it yet. Like I kind of just moved on. Yeah. And then it wasn't until I played Like a Dragon that I kind of got Yakuza. And now, so I, I think like at the end of the day, I think choose whatever game kind of speaks to you the most. I think you're going to, yeah. you'll figure it out as you go. I don't think any of them, I would maybe recommend not doing like four or five or six first, yeah. I, you know, but I think there's definitely like <laughs> the same way. I think playing great Ace Attorney Chronicles would be better if you've played the original Ace Attorney trilogy, but I do think you can start with Ace Attorney Chronicles and then go back and still appreciate the connections. Yeah. So yeah. You know, follow your heart. Yeah, I I, th- I think the, the best move is probably either Zero or Kiwami. Um, yeah. But that having been said, th- this game's lack of attachment to all the other games narratively, I think, does make it weirdly a good starting point as well. Uh, yeah. I also just I want to see more like if we if we are doomed to constantly have sequels and prequels and spinoffs, like give me more period piece yes one-offs like i think that's a great way to do a new game but like actually have it feel fresh yeah you know it's a great idea there is um, um there is another spinoff i don't know if we got it in the states or not um there, there's another spinoff called yakuza of the dead which is a, a zombie <laughs> version um which oh I'm, man i'm curious if that's good or not but as you and i have said many times I, I like can't do zombies anymore i'm just like totally done with that as a form of fiction unfortunately at the moment yeah it, it takes a lot i think like but, um, but th- doesn't the yakuza game with zombies sound great though that is one of the few exceptions where there are some series if they did like a zombie thing and i mean like i i actually rewatched Shaun of the dead not too long ago and had a great time so like yeah it's not totally out of my heart we just got like force-fed zombies for a decade and yeah. we just need to like take a break even longer yeah yeah Anyway, Like a Dragon Ishin uh, is available, I think, only for new generation consoles. I think it's like just the current gen stuff, if I'm not It's mistaken. on the new 3DS. It's on the new 3DS. Uh, yeah. I'm playing, I'm playing it on Series S and uh, having a good time. I know it's on PS5 and it's also on Steam as well. So if you have a Steam deck, cool. I'm, I'm sure it runs pretty well. But uh, yeah, I big recommend. I love it. I think I think it's spectacular. Um, I, I'm having a hard time putting it down. And when I do put it down, that's usually because I'm going to bed and then picking up my Retroid Pocket and then playing Yakuza Zero. So uh, I'm really, really in the zone right now. I also feel like playing Yakuza alongside our Dreamcast episode is is actually important. Oh, yeah. Totally. Was it you who said that you like your read on Yakuza Kiwami is about Sega, basically? Yes. Like about the fall of Sega yeah. at that time? I cannot wait to see what you mean by that. But I think you're <laughs> onto something given also Yakuza's connection to Shenmue and that whole saga as well. Yeah. Pretty cool. Yeah. That's like a Dragon Ishin check it out use the wild dancer style you're gonna have a good time <laughs> want to take a break yeah let's do it steven we're back 
<laughs> I've been playing hey. Wild Hearts, a game that you brought to the show last week. Yeah. I purchased it while you were talking about it. It's good. It's a good <laughs> video game. We wanted to revisit it because I think one of the reasons I wanted to bring it up in addition to enjoying it was just like, you know, the many conversations around it, sort of its relationship to Monster Hunter, our kind of constant conversation about like inspiration versus copying and like the formation of a genre. I will say, quick caveat, literally the minute I played more of the game after we recorded last (laughs) week... It kind of undid a little bit of what I said about the world being seamless because it was like, congrats on beating the boar. Now there's a main town and segmented (laughs) areas. It doesn't like everything I said, I think still applies, but it it did kind of morph it a little bit to being even more like Monster Hunter. Yes. But I've still been really enjoying the game. And also I wanted to clarify too, because I saw some discussion about you know, us kind of saying Monster Hunter is a new genre. I didn't mean to imply that Monster Hunter hasn't had already profound influence on a number of games. And I I think for me, I was specifically talking about like games that are like clearly directly going after Monster Hunter specifically. You know, I think you can see Monster Hunter DNA in a lot of different games, but I think there have been less that are that are very clearly trying to do exactly what Monster Hunter is doing. Right. And Wild Hearts very clearly almost too much is going after like the same aesthetic, the same loop. And I think it mostly pulls it off. But I I think, you know, we want to revisit the conversation because now that you've played it and I want to hear what your thoughts are. Yeah, I... I love it so far. <laughs> it's uh, all fun. Yeah. I, I think it's really great. The thing that I'm, I'm starting to struggle with, though, is like recommending it to literally anybody, which is really <laughs> unfortunate because I don't yeah. I don't know who who to recommend it to. Because as, as you and I talked about last week, you know, friends of mine who are big fans of Monster Hunter are totally uninterested in it because they already have Monster Hunter. This game looks and feels and acts so much like Monster Hunter that it almost feels like it's going after the exact same audience. But that audience is kind of turned off by that. So then it kind of raises the question of like, okay, who's left over? Who is this for then? Is this maybe for potential new fans? Is this like, is this an on-ramp into this as a genre? Is this an on-ramp into Monster Hunter? Is there a clean entry point into this as just Wild Hearts as its own intellectual property? And I think the answer to that is also no. Like weirdly enough, I think you need a base understanding of Monster Hunter to really get this game initially because like Monster Hunter, this game's tutorial is terrible. Like it's not... (laughs) not helpful or good and they they throw so much at you so quickly yeah you kind of have no idea what to do there are some great quality of life improvements but those are really only recognizable if you already know monster hunter you know like the big thing for me one one of the big like aha brain blast moments for me was playing the game at the introduction of um the weapon tree when they start to allow you to like craft and upgrade your weapons the weapon tree is laid out in a way that is so readable in a way that like the monster hunter ones have never been for me like i i know i understand how to use the monster hunter one now because i've been playing these games for so long but the wild hearts one is laid out in such a way where everything just feels really tangible and feels like i know exactly what i need to go to do to get from point a to point b but then they introduce a bunch of other deeper mechanics into weapon crafting and upgrading that they don't explain at all that can completely fuck you over if you don't just like intuit them and figure them out immediately for example like if you're if you're upgrading a weapon that you have and it has skills applied to it, you can move those skills over from your old weapon to the new one. But if you don't know that that's an option, you just lose those skills forever. Uh, so you could spend, you know, 
hours and hours upgrading all your weapons and just tossing away these great skills every single time you upgrade your weapon because they never once explained that that's even an option. You just need to know to press the X button when you're instead of the the A button, you know, which is frustrating. But on top of all of that, I, I think that the thing that is really working for me is that the combat feels different. I it think does. like yeah. the, the feel yeah. of the combat by itself, obviously the design of the monsters is different. I, I think it's great. They're called kimono in this game. I, th- I think they're like really cool. They're all they are, really yeah. distinct and like fascinating ideas. They're like really just like letting their imaginations run wild in a way totally. that monster hunter, I don't think does very frequently. You know, uh, we, we've talked a lot about like some of the standout monsters in that game being like really visually interesting. But for the most part, this game is like every single monster that you go up against is really fascinating. It's a cool, idea you know even the very first one that you go up against that's like a rat that looks like it's been infected with the last of us virus (laughs) right is like so cool visually it's just this rat where it's it's left eye uh is supposed to be it's just this like big beautiful cherry blossom flower um and its tail is also a big bloom it's like really cool and that's the first thing you fight and from that point on they just like continue to be really interesting at the point where you and i are at in the game now it's like the, the monster designs are just getting like wilder and cooler. Yeah, there's like a rooster that's whole like mane is seaweed. Uh, yeah. And then there's also they all look like kind of uh, they've been summoned from the earth in some way. Yeah. There's also a, a like gorilla monster that is made out of like ashy stone and lava that I'm fighting right now. Yeah, that, that's and I mentioned that last week. I think that's like the saving grace of this game is that they really went all out on the monsters and that yeah. really paid off. The give and take for me about this game, the thing that that is working for me and also is the thing that's attracting from it. And I think it's just by virtue of it being the first one. Like if they're able to make a Wild Hearts 2, I think that game will be great. We'll see if they get there. But the combat is so interesting. The, this uh, addition of the uh, Karukari, I think they're called, which are like these little mechanisms that you can spawn out of nowhere, as you were talking about last week, the kind of like Fortnite-esque inspiration that this game has. I find it to be exhilarating when it works. Yeah, um, because it's hard to pull off. And I think that's actually important that it's like not just a given that you can do it all the time. Yeah, yeah. So you, you need to be managing this resource called thread at any given time. And you can like go around the environment and like chop down trees or like bust open or in the world and stuff that will refill your thread um you also have this like little robot companion who will sometimes if you if you upgrade him in a certain way will just give you thread like in combat which is really helpful but you use that thread to varying degrees uh, of uh, utility for different fights so like there's one fight called the king tusk which is this big kind of like grassy boar thing and if it charges at you like boars tend to do you can build if you put up a, a wall of uh what is it? Three by three. Yeah. Uh, three by three boxes. Three by three boxes. It'll turn into just like an actual wall that this King Tusk will run up against. And as soon as it hits it, it'll just like fall over. And that gives you a great opportunity to just like kick the shit out of it. And that stuff is great when it works. Alternatively, you have a spring, which you could put down on the ground at any time, which can like launch you out of the way. And when a King Tusk is charging at you, maybe you don't have the resources available to make this big wall to just like get a bunch of hits in. You can throw a spring down and spring out of the way. I find that the spring like almost never works like it almost. Oh, really? Yeah. For me, usually I'll put the spring down and then try and use it to launch myself out of the way. And it either just won't register at all. Like I just I will stand on the spring and it won't do anything. Or alternatively, I'll spring out of the way and the King Tusk will hit me anyway for like reasons <laughs> that I don't understand because the hitboxes are so bizarre. Um, and I think that's the kind of stuff that like can get refined in sure. 
patches hypothetically but also sequels like if they were to make a second one of these they would be able to make a version of this combat that I think would really act the way I want it to, which is I think the the thing that I'm connecting with is that Monster Hunter usually gets compared to the Souls games in terms of their combat because so much of it revolves around understanding and and watching your enemy. Like so much of the combat in both of those franchises is about understanding what your openings are and when you should like sit back and just hang out. Right. It makes it feel like an h- actual hunter. You have to like yeah. observe your prey and and it's in and actually like a uh, world especially it was very big on like studying the monster so you can unlock like tips on how to fight it, which is yes. a lot of fun. Yeah, I love that shit. Um, yeah. This game, I think weirdly enough leans further away from monster hunter combat and more into souls combat in a lot of ways for me like it feels more honestly like sekiro at times especially born even i kind of it feels like twitchy and like combo-y yeah definitely i mean i mean specifically with the mechanisms that you can put down in the world sure it feels so much like sekiro and the shinobi arts that you have access to like being able to throw down firecrackers to distract your enemies in sekiro is like a thing where people on the internet as we talked a lot about with that game were like oh yeah if you're using that shit then you're like not a real souls player but like they're in the game for a reason they're in the game because they need to give you a leg up sometimes like yes you can beat every single boss with just your sword if you want to but that would be ignoring a whole bunch of mechanics that were intentionally placed in this game to make it more fun like it's about having fun it's not yeah, about, it's right. not about proving yourself to other people on reddit you know it's it's about using the stuff that you have available to you because that character the wolf in that game is like literally just trying to survive like it's all about just like using whatever you have at your disposal and this game feels so much like that to me like if you play this game without using the mechanisms and and you decide like i'm not going to learn how to build anything i'm just going to use my weapons and just pretend this is monster hunter you're essentially gearing up to have the worst time you possibly can playing (laughs) wild hearts you need to use that stuff which is why it's frustrating for me when i put down a spring and it doesn't activate or i set up a one of the zip lines to like you know hit a monster and it just like breaks or doesn't go as far as it's supposed to when i set it up oh yeah see some of the stuff like i think explicitly works better out of combat so like Mm -hmm. the zip line i almost always use just like when i'm traversing an area or exploring i think you're onto something though because like i haven't had that with the springs and i think probably because when i make a spring i make them ahead of time Mm. and then dash into them when i need to use them but even still some of the stuff like the boxes there's a weird like magnetization of them when you jump on them that feels very unnatural to like what you would expect jumping on a box to feel like yes um and that can really throw you off especially in the game is demanding enough that like those moments stand out yeah because i i think the the thing that stands out to me so much about monster hunter combat and souls combat is that everything acts the way you expect it to right and anytime you fuck up it's because you fucked up it's not because the game didn't register what you wanted to do it's because you weren't being cautious enough or you weren't being intentional enough with your attacks or your blocks or your dodges or your parries or whatever to land the hit that you needed to or to dodge out of the way when you needed to and in wild hearts i find frequently that i get into situations where i know that it wasn't my fault yeah which like almost feels like me making excuses but i know i know for a fact that it's like the game's failing because like they didn't they didn't have that like final 
brush through the combat to make sure that everything acts the way it's supposed to, which is why I want so badly for there to be a sequel. And all of that having been said, even though this has sounded very negative, I'm really like loving what the game has to offer because the moments where I lock into it and feel like I'm playing a Souls game or feel like I'm playing Sekiro, it like fucking rips. Like, yeah, again, the, the monster design is amazing. The environment design is amazing. Yeah. When when the mechanics and and the and the building stuff works it feels so fun like the idea one of the big things that they teach you right early on is if you build three blocks on top of one another and you run up the side of those blocks and jump into the air and then attack you'll do an attack if you can land it especially on a crit point on that monster that's like five to ten times as powerful as if you had just slashed it with your sword so they encourage you doing that over and over and over again but of course that uses resources and you're thinking about so many things there's a lot of moving parts yeah which I think is really fun. I think that's like a fun addition to that style of combat. I'm having a really, really good time with it. It's just that those frustrations really stand out. I also I like I love the side quests. I love all the stuff that we talked about last week where like, yes, the world isn't totally open and totally seamless. But when you're in a new area, being able to build new campsites, kind of not wherever you want, because there are kind of fixed points for it, but you won't always have the resources to build them every time you come across those fixed points. So you need to choose very specifically where you're going to spend those resources and build up a base of operations in that new zone and that's really fun like it's a lot of fun i think that's a really cool set of mechanics that i would love to see make it into monster hunter or into a sequel and i also think just like story-wise the game is fascinating i i haven't seen this pay off yet but when you make it into the city if you talk to enough people there are really mixed opinions on what you're doing i think in monster hunter so frequently and it's one of the beautiful things about that game i think is like the story is almost non-existent and everyone's just happier around and hunting monsters yeah and like they don't really question it at all it's 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 almost like in pokemon black and white where they start to like raise the question of like hey should you really be capturing and fighting these monsters against their will uh and then the game ends with being like yeah actually it's great and everyone <laughs> loves it um Wild Hearts is seemingly like really actually focused on asking that question. It's like, are you a good guy? And there are people in the main city who will yell at you when you walk by because they hate what you're doing. They're like, these creatures are touched by our gods and you're killing them. You're slaughtering them for parts that you're then going to wear. That's so fucked up of you. And then there are other people who are like, well, also we couldn't leave the city because there are so many of these things running rampant. And now we have access to like the beautiful flower fields across the bridge right at the exit of the city because you killed that big fucking boar. So there's this real give and take between like how much of what you're doing is helpful to society and how much of it is like actually just like killing for the purposes of your own gain. And you're also given your powers by like a very mysterious character who is also very from soft Yes. He wears a mask and like clearly is probably up to no good. It's got big Vare energy. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate the game constantly lets you sort of role play in kind of a minimalist way where like you'll be given questions about like how you see what you're doing or how you even just like talk to other people. Yeah. It's not like a huge amount of dialogue, but it is enough to show the game is interested in how you think of yourself in this world. It feels like three houses. You know, yeah, like three houses would frequently give you three different ways of saying yes, (laughs) but based on which of those you picked would kind of give you those role playing options, right? Like, are you going to are you going to say yes very tersely? No other added shit. Or are you going to say yes in like a nice way? Are you going to say yes in a way that's like, yes. And also, I don't give a shit about you. Are you going to say no or dot, dot, dot? Right. Uh, Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Exactly. Um, 
but I'm glad you're enjoying it. I, I definitely think it's, you know, it's it's definitely, I think you're right to point out sort of the potential of a sequel. Not that we can't enjoy the first one for what it is, but I do think like they are really close to achieving what they set out to do. I think so too, yeah. I think where the game, like, you know, if you're going after a Monster Hunter type experience, I think they nailed what they had to. It's sort of the, the more unique elements that need some refining. I yeah. will say though, I just got the ability to summon like, sort of a propeller device that flies me in the air oh which is so much better for doing jump attacks than the boxes <laughs> and if i stack three of them on top of each other it makes like a healing mist pop out oh. which i imagine will be really helpful for a co-op or anything totally you, yeah you just put that down so it's it's a lot of fun i think i think it's i think you're right to point out like who is this for and you know i'm sure there's like maybe outside of our friends there are more monster Hunter fans that are interested in like what other teams are doing within that type of game mm -hmm. but i'm enjoying it so yeah me too if it wasn't for ishin i think i would have been playing this game all week but ishin yeah. has really just eaten up almost all of my time that i've been playing stuff yeah that's wild hearts that's wild hearts i think it's like worth revisiting and again if you have an xbox and game pass there's a i think a 10 hour demo that you can download and check out which is worth doing and a six dollar discount uh so if you want to save exactly six dollars <laughs> you can do that <laughs> Let's take a break. <laughs> Sounds good. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Brendan. Hello. Uh, it's a big day for us and or for me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Do you ever get that on a card from a friend of yours? <laughs> yeah. Happy day slash I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Octopath Traveler 2 has come out. I played the demo a couple weeks ago when that dropped. Streamed it also. That's on our YouTube. And I kind of went into the demo like not sure, not very confident, honestly, in Octopath Traveler 2. Octopath Traveler 1, we've talked about a lot. But just to sort of like refresh in case this is your first episode or you, you don't know our experience with that game. Octopath Traveler, I think, was like so close to greatness and we loved it for what it did well. But I think the consensus about that game is that it had obvious shortcomings and shortcomings that I think were especially noticeable given that they were related to the promise of the game. Yeah. So this idea of like having eight characters that all have their own stories, no one is the main character, but everyone can be the main character. Uh, sort of a, a another big retro throwback from Square themselves. It was really exciting when the first one came out and I, I feel like the lead up to two has been more uncertain. Yeah. The big things with Octopath 1 that I think everyone kind of says is that the game never really allowed the characters to meaningfully interact and the stories didn't really intertwine until like significantly in the late game. Yeah, like 50 hours into that game. Yeah. Yeah, I was I was about 40 hours in when I kind of felt myself burning out and you know, the combat was incredible, the look of it was really cool and really fresh for being like the first game of that style of presentation. Yeah. Music unbelievable and and that's what made it so frustrating is like if if those elements were on the same level as everything else, this would be a modern day classic. This would be talked about the same way we talk about FF5 and FF6 and all yeah, these games. Yeah. Absolutely. So, Octopath 2 is coming out in an era where this style of game, not that they're all the same, but like these kind of modern retro throwback RPGs are getting better and better and more plentiful. Mm -hmm. uh, so I was sort of like, is Octopath 2 like gonna be like, not that they had to compete, but like will Octopath 2 stand out as much in a post, you know, uh, sea of stars or chain echoes world. Just to add to that, I, I think 
you're totally right to bring up that side of things like Chained Echoes and Sea of Stars and games like that existing, but also Square Enix has taken and adopted the 3D 2D engine that made Octopath Traveler stand out visually and artistically and has started applying it to other things. So like we obviously have Triangle Strategy from the same developer and Octopath Traveler 2, but also we have Live Alive and uh, Square Enix is working on a remake of Dragon Quest 3 in that engine as well. Like that visual identity that made Octopath Traveler stand out is starting to become like almost ubiquitous in a way. And I've started to see indie developers also start to make games that look like that and have that style as well. So it's, it's interesting that in the years since 2018, when Octopath Traveler came out, that thing that made it so exciting has also kind of like faded into the background and it needs to stand on its own individually. It needs to stand on its own, like mechanically and narratively and sonically instead of just visually, which was, I think, the thing that people latched onto initially. Yeah. So the full game is now out. I liked the demo. I was really the character I chose, Oswald, more about him later, uh, is kind of <laughs> unique in that you actually have to play his first two chapters like in order. Everyone else, you play the first chapter and then you get to explore the world map and, you know, bump into other characters. But Oswald is like in prison yeah. uh, and doesn't <laughs> escape until the end of chapter two, which honestly, pretty cool intro. That was a pretty gripping setup to his story, which it was fun. Yeah, I didn't play it myself, but I watched your stream of that and then picked different characters than you picked. Yeah, my experience through the demo. But yeah, it's really it's really striking. I also like I can't imagine how bumping into Oswald works uh, outside, <laughs> outside of that. Yeah. So uh, I actually unhinged of me, but I have I, I made a little uh, rubric of the various eight characters and who I consider the strongest for various reasons, which I'll share later on. Because at this point, I have seen all eight characters' first chapter, and I've done a couple chapter twos, mm. which means that I've played a lot of this game in a very short amount of time. And Brendan, <laughs> I'm happy to report that I am absolutely in love with Octopath Traveler 2. Wow. I think it's incredible. I, I've kind of been rooting for this division of Square because Octopath obviously was this flawed gem. And then so was Triangle Strategy. Like Triangle Strategy, I think, was was better in some areas, but really suffered from just like an imbalance of game. Like there was yeah. so much story and so little game. It was as if we got a beef Wellington with like a shred of beef in it. So this is really good. <laughs> But like I wanted a meal and instead I got like a, a glimpse of what could be. Yeah. The pastry puff is awesome, though. Yeah, right. The pastry puff is great, but like it's all pastry puff. It's yeah. like two hours of pastry puff and I, I wanted the beef, you know? Yeah. Anyway, beef Wellington aside, I it was frustrating to see Octopath get so close and then Triangle Strategy get so close because Triangle Strategy, yeah. the, the tactics were unbelievable. They so nailed the tactics, Ogre, FF tactics, mechanics of it all. And mm -hmm. I think the characters were actually more interesting. And there was a pretty cool story. It definitely lost its way a bit in the latter half, I would say, but it was definitely more engaging than anything in Octopath. And I think there also were some really clever role-playing systems in that game, too like the fact that there were sort of three moral stances to take and the game kept hidden which ones you were choosing that yeah. was a really cool idea and i i loved the decision making moments where you you turn to the scales of conviction which why wasn't that the name of the game i think that every time they go to the <laughs> scales of conviction i'm like why'd you go with triangle strategy anyway uh scales of conviction your whole party votes on a big decision and you have to commit to the choice that wins the popular vote which is such a cool idea yeah so like it was great 
Triangle Strategy, I think, is definitely worth playing. But again, it's like there is so much about salt. There are so many cutscenes about salt. And at a certain point, it's like I could be doing anything else right now. Um, <laughs> yeah. So anyway, all that is like my emotional baggage going into Octopath Traveler 2, like believing, you know, I don't know if it's the same team for all these games, but I imagine there's a lot of talent, you know, in this division of Square that has worked on all of these. And Octopath Traveler 2, I'm, I'm about f- 15 or so hours in, and uh, I think they finally nailed it. I think they, they've gotten at least the closest to what they've set out to achieve in all the games I've played. I think that in some ways it's not a huge deviation from the original game. It's it's largely the same structure. There are eight characters. You choose who the lead is. But really all that does is it essentially locks that character into your party. So you can't switch them out. And it also is the opening of the game. So in some ways it kind of puts in your head that, okay, this is the main character. Right, yeah. So eight characters, that's similar setup on the world map. The classes are also the same, but they've really dramatically changed who the characters are in what class and what abilities they have. Mm. So for instance, like in, in the first game, like the cleric, thief, scholar, and hunter were all sort of like, if I said those class names to you, you would kind of in your head imagine a character. And that's basically who they were. I think the the two standouts in the first game, at least in terms of character, in my opinion, were Primrose and Tressa, who were the dancer and the merchant. And I think because their classes were sort of fun spins on other classes, I think those characters just felt more unique and, and had stories that at least followed some kind of intrigue, even if they weren't like amazing. I think those two were were at least the standouts for me. They're the two I remember. <laughs> so it's, it's a low bar, but like a yeah. lot of the stories were just like actively uninteresting, which was a shame. <laughs> Octopath 2, I'm happy to report, pretty much every story is at least intriguing. Um, I've seen all of them, and there's only one that I think feels Octopath 1-y. Uh, all the other ones feel like they clearly stepped up the, the narrative of these games. Yeah. And again, like I don't think... I think what's helped me kind of enter Octopath Traveler 2 is I've now played a good amount of Final Fantasy V, which I think is the closest, like, historical root of this series. Final Fantasy V is a entry of Final Fantasy that is notably less story and more gameplay. It's a game just about four strangers meeting up, and also the game that introduced the job and classes to Final Fantasy. So the loop of FF5 is, like, explore the map, grind a bunch have one character be a black mage for a bit they'll get an ability from that class switch to another class now you have kind of a hybrid and like it's really amazing how much five got right like i played it uh, (laughs) for the first time this year and like i expected it to feel more archaic like i am playing the game boy advance port of it so there might be some additional content there but Mm. even still like the sort of loop of i have a character be this class until they get this ability and then i make them a different class like that all started with five and the tone of five is just so gripping in my opinion because while the story is light the game has a strong sense of adventure similar to like dragon quest 8 which would be the closest comparison i could think of where like the game is more interested in sort of getting you into the action and having fun than setting up a story or pretending that the narrative is going to be like a groundbreaking experience like four or six are for the time that came out so i imagine when i went into the first octopath you know we had just started the show 
I maybe was expecting a much, much richer narrative experience and was like really let down. Hmm. So I think maybe part of it is I'm going into Octopath with much more measured expectations. And again, like the story is not groundbreaking, but it doesn't have to be. It just has to give me a sense of character and a sense of variety. And they've largely pulled that off. Hmm. I think there are a handful of stories that I would say I'm like really actually interested in and enjoying the rest. I'm like along for the ride. And then there's one or two that I'm like, eh, it's fine. <laughs> but I do think overall the cast is much stronger. Combat is still fantastic. Uh, and there are a couple new additions that I think go a long way. The biggest is that everyone now has day and night abilities. So essentially like every character starts off as one class. They have abilities that are associated with those class and then every character has an innate talent and two path actions. So the talent is just like whatever class that character is, they will always have that ability. So Oswald, for example, his talent is he can spot a random weakness of all the enemies before a match begins. Uh, wow, I should have started with Oswald. <laughs> it's re- more on Oswald yeah, in damn. a bit. Uh, he scores pretty highly in my weird chart. Anyway. <laughs> So there's that. And and the and eventually you can multi-class and how that works is one you unlock subclasses. So like right now I actually unlocked the ability to make any character a cleric as their mm-hmm. subclass. And so now I have Oswald subclassing as a cleric. I can never not have him be a scholar, but he can be a scholar and something else. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. but I can only do that for one character at a time. So right now having the cleric equipped lets Oswald use the skills of a cleric as well. And as you unlock job points, I can permanently unlock passive skills from the cleric role that I can keep regardless of what the sub role is for Oswald. And that stuff has always kind of been the main draw of Octopath for me. And it happens so much faster in this game. And this kind of leads me into the next improvement that I think is huge is that Octopath 1 kind of played like a circle. Like they kind of cleverly arranged the characters to be in an order on the world map where like you would have sort of a round, a well-rounded party regardless of who you started with. But it played like a circle and then it kind of blossomed into it was like do everyone's chapter one world map opens up do everyone's chapter two now you can multi-class do everyone's chapter three and that's like where most people stop playing yeah here they give you full it, it reminds me of, of what you've said about pokemon crystal clear where you can go anywhere like the world is open mm-hmm. and the game also clearly shows you what the danger level of every area is so Often I'll just see like if I want to challenge myself or if I want to get like more experience than usual, I'll go to a higher level area just for fun and see if I can pull it off. And also because the world is much less like choreographed, like it's not just a circle, like it'll show you where people's chapters begin but it's like just two continents, basically the feeling of adventure and the feeling of like, I just want to explore. I'm not even going to start a new chapter yet. I just want to see if I can find like a dungeon to train in or better yet find like the altar where I can either upgrade a class or find a new subclass. Like the incentives to explore are so, so much higher. Mm. And that leads to the game just feeling much more open. And it also makes more sense that like these travelers are all kind of doing their own thing and sort of like, 
needing each other. Yeah. So, so far the game, like it still feels a little bit disconnected where like whenever you do, whenever you meet a new character, there's this moment where they like introduce themselves and ask if they can travel with you. And then you have the option of watching their chapter one, which like you should, like you should know all the context there, but it does lead to some weird pacing where it's like you meet a character, you get their chapter one and then you're just together. But they have added more just awareness of the characters. Like there's banter when you're fighting an enemy where the characters will comment on each other there's much more travel dialogue so like it still is that weird like spotlight thing but it happens more often and they will refer to things that just happened in a way that i think does still like it's kind of cool because on one hand like it feels like the game is recognizing in the early beats they're all still strangers to each other yeah but they're slowly getting to understand each other better i still think the game can do more with that like I, i do understand that some people still feel like there's maybe not enough of that but for me it fixes the glaring error of the first game where it was like totally disconnected. This game at least feels like in addition to these characters traveling together, so many of the path abilities are about like the dancer kind of charming someone to travel with them or Mm -hmm. whatever. And there's so much detail. Like the path actions are usually in relationships to NPCs. So like the thief can steal from the NPCs and at night she can knock them out. So if there's like (laughs) an, an NPC blocking like a secret door, you can knock them out and go into that room, which is really Cool. One of the funny things about about the game is that you can switch to day and night at any time. Also, yeah. it's like literally just a shoulder button, which is awesome. It's so yeah. cool to see like you know different characters will be there. Like there's one part of the world map where at night there's a black market, and some of the characters too like have abilities like uh, Throne the thief. If you're fighting at night, she just buffs the entire party, uh, which is so cool. So like I think the day and night cycle seems silly at first, but it's one of the coolest additions. And also the fact that it kind of gives every character two path actions and they have different actions during the day and night is really, really clever. It's very cool. Also, just the the visual style at night is really gorgeous. Like, and the I, music changes, too. Yeah, I, th- I think th- this game, at least for my time with the demo, is like leaps and bounds better, both visually and sonically than the first one, which is kind of almost like hard to even quantify yeah. or or explain via a podcast. But like. That first game was really, really stellar and set the bar for what this this style of visual, like, I I guess, like graphic art direction could look like. And a lot of other games, as we've already mentioned, have like taken that and run with it in various directions to varying degrees of success. But like Man Octopath 2 just like blows all those out of the water in a lot it's, of cases it's beautiful and like maybe one of the best soundtracks i've heard in a game it's just like every yeah, every theme is so good and like a lot of the a huge variety of instruments too and and just hearing how the music changes with the day and night cycle um on top of all that characters also now have limit breaks basically where a bar will you know fill up as they take damage or throughout a battle and eventually they can do like their super move and every character has a different one so throne the thief can go twice she just gets two turns which is amazing considering that you can also use boosts on those turns so that's an incredible ability oswald's uh they're called latent abilities his latent ability is he can turn a move that usually hits all enemies into a single target but it does way more damage Mm. which for context like all the scholar spells are like fireball ice lightning bolt they automatically hit all enemies yeah 
Agni the dancer does the opposite also, which is fun. Right. But what Oswald is about is like he can now do massive damage to a boss. So mm-hmm. like, you know, if the guard of a of a boss has dropped, I can max boost latent ability a fireball spell and it does like 5000 damage. <laughs> it also just fits his character because his whole story is about revenge. Mm-hmm. So like when he <laughs> I, I love him when he casts spells, he'll be like, pierce them winds of frost. Like every spell is such dramatic <laughs> nature behind it um and it's fun too because like the scholar in octopath one was sort of a generic like professor and having the scholar be this like jean valjean who never learned about mercy character is so fun (laughs) so i just think like on one hand a lot of these changes might not sound like enough like i i think there is a sentiment that like okay this is the sequel five years later and it's still kind of adhering to the same format but there are so many incremental improvements that I find it to be greater than the sum of its parts and I think the biggest thing for me is that the structure of the game is all about freedom and creativity like the the way you can customize these characters and build them choose who to invest in and choose where you go on the world map it really does feel like a big adventure the same way ff5 did i think games that kind of follow ff5's design like bravely default the thing that's often gets forgotten is that freedom like ff5 is a very open game Mm. um and i think that remembering that has really helped octopath 2 feel like what the first game should have been i i think it's incredible i'm having a fantastic time there's still a chance i might bump into the same things i did in the first one but like i'm having i i haven't when we do this show there's a sense of like i i usually have this feeling of like okay i need to manage my time make sure i'm playing new stuff and yeah rarely I, I usually will have like one game that i just play like for fun and i was up until two in the morning playing this game like i could not <laughs> put it down so like even if i eventually bounce i i think it, i think it's really ramping up to be one of the best rpgs on switch that's awesome i love it i think it's great yeah it's it's amazing i don't know if we're nearing the end of the switch's life cycle but it's amazing that we've had octopath one and two on this yeah. same system like the switch <laughs> has been around for that long um octopath one also eventually made its way like multi-platform and i'm hoping that this game eventually does as well it's on steam currently uh, there is one issue apparently there was an issue with save data from the demo carrying over to the full game on steam deck there's currently an issue there so if you played the demo on steam deck just look out for that but yeah on the switch i had no issue i'm extremely hopeful that it hits game pass eventually and i can play it like cloud streaming on something like the retroid like i would love to have this game on like a little pocketable device, but also the kind of like pick up your save anywhere thing for Game Pass on xCloud is like so incredible for me. It kind of leads to that thing that we were talking about with Yakuza where it's like, yeah, yeah, do all the side stuff on the Retroid and then sit down on the TV, pick up your save file exactly where you left off in the cloud version and then play it on the TV. I would love to do that for Octopath as well. Uh, the first one is already on Game Pass, which is really yeah. very cool. So I, I think that'll probably happen eventually. I played the demo. I didn't have as great a time with it as you did, but I'm really glad that you're enjoying it as much as you are. For what I What I've seen is like, the sentiment of people who like could have loved Octopath, it really does kind of split 50 50. Like some people love this game the way that you do. And some people are still kind of waiting for more like I am. But I, I think for you, dear listener, it's kind of like a check out the demo and maybe it'll it'll hit you the same way. I'm glad to see the reviews are leaning more positive than not. I mean, even the people that feel maybe like it's not enough are still enjoying it. Yeah, I would say like for you, Brendan, like I think waiting till it's on Game Pass or like kind of freely available, I would give it a bit more time because I think that you seem to enjoy the first one enough that I 
I think once you're kind of where I'm at, I think you would enjoy it mm. for what it's worth, at least. Yeah, I, I played like 30 hours, I think, of the first game and like really liked it and eventually kind of burnt out just on the narrative stuff, really. Um, yeah, the combat really just doesn't get old ever. It's amazing. It's like maybe the best turn based combat other than like Persona. Yeah. I think I think that was the thing that you and I said about that game initially was like everything is firing at 100. And then once you get past like the 20 hour mark, it's like the combat is the only thing that's really keeping you around. And at a certain point when that's the only pillar you have left, like you really it's maybe not going to be the thing that's going to bring you to the end of the game. And it's nice to know that just like narratively and, and sonically and visually, they've just kind of like bumped up everything else to keep you around. It's like really just giving you more reasons to continue playing the game, which is all most people really wanted. I do keep thinking of what you said, though, where you're like, give me a campfire, like give me a place where everyone is together and talking and like it just feels like a no brainer. And there are so there are quests that involve two characters. So like I'm glad that there are like concrete missions that involve like characters aware of each other, you know, being there. But I think it still doesn't address sort of the fundamental issue, I think. But I I do think if you kind of enter with the mindset of like this is sort of like the early days of a D&D campaign where no one really knows or can justify why their characters are adventuring together. <laughs> it feels more like that and less like, why on earth is Tressa with Primrose right now? Like, this actually feels scary. Yeah, totally. Anyway, uh, unless you had any questions for me, I might move on to my bizarre uh, advice on who to pick. Because I know that's the big question. Yeah, I, I'm very interested in that. My, my last thought that I'll say is I, I just like, I don't need this to be Mass Effect 2. <laughs> right. But like this franchise has the potential to be Mass Effect 2. You yeah, know what I, mean? I totally agree. And I think I think that's the bigger thing for me. I, I completely agree. So I do think that it's fairly daunting to choose who your lead is, even though it's not as big of a decision as it seems. You are locking in that party member. Yeah. So I thought it would be helpful to the dear listener uh, if I shared my opinion on all eight heroes in a variety of areas. You're going to share your opinion on this podcast? <laughs> All right. I was haunted and reminded of the memory (laughs) when we did our Paper Mario bonus. I had this like bizarre like graph of the cast, (laughs) which felt unfair because most of them are like baby fish. And I'm like, sense of character three. (laughs) But I think for Octopath, it might help to at least hear my perspective. And huge caveat here. This is just based on the first chapter. So I'm actually very open to revisiting this when I'm further in and seeing Mm. if I was like onto something or if I was wildly off base. Yeah. So here we go. I I have them listed here in the order in which I acquired them. So we're kicking off with Oswald the Scholar. Here I have, on a scale of S to F, I've I've ranked (laughs) sense of character. Like, do I like who they are? Do I get a sense of who they are? Usefulness in combat. Their path ability, which is like their weird out of combat ability with the townspeople. Mm. Their story, and then an average rating based on all of those grades. Wow. So Oswald the Scholar, I've given his character an S. Just unbelievable. When I streamed this and was choosing who to pick, it was unanimous that we had to go with Oswald. Yeah. You get two illustrations of the character, depending on whether it's night and day. And at in day, he's in prison, furiously journaling. And at night, he's rocking like a professor with glasses look, but in the snow. And it's just unbelievable. He makes me laugh constantly. I can't get over, pure them winds of frost 
And he never stops talking like this. <laughs> Most of his first chapter is narrated because he's muzzled to prevent him from using magic. And the guy he wants to kill is named Harvey, which is so funny to me. <laughs> S. Incredible. <laughs> Usefulness in combat, I also gave an S. I think the scholars are, especially for like random encounters, are just so useful to get the weaknesses uh, visible. And also just the ability to have like all elements Massive damage, uh, just incredible character. Here's where Oswald stumbles. The path ability I don't like. Uh, during the day, he can scrutinize, which has a chance to fail. So every, a lot of the path abilities are like, some characters can do similar things, but in different ways. Mm -hmm. So some are like, you have a percentage chance of winning or losing. And if you fail that attempt, your reputation in that town suffers. Others are like, you can just do it, but you have to be a certain level in order to do it. And then others require a material component like money or items. So basically one of Oswald's uh, path abilities is like reading a person and getting their weirdly detailed biography. Everyone has one. Uh, and he can also find hidden information that can lead to like finding treasure. And then his nighttime ability is to mug where he has to like fight one-on-one -on -one with the person to get their items and that just takes so much time and is usually never worth it especially when you have a thief in the party that can do it way easier mm -hmm. so i think his path ability is like i think the scrutinizing is pretty helpful but like it's kind of a niche thing so i gave him a c for the path ability story i gave our guy oswald an a uh i i think the the setup of being like a a prison break for the opening chapter is one of the most gripping. Mm. Um, the reason it's not S is I think his actual, like the person who wronged him seems to have very shallow motivation currently. Mm. Uh, and I find it to be a little bit trite in that regard, but it's hard not to be on Oswald's side when you go through as much as he has gone through in those opening chapters. So overall Oswald gets an A from me, Steven. I think wow. he's a, he's a good character to start with. A's vault. <laughs> next up we have throne the thief i gave her character an a uh she's a little bit of a trope i feel like she's definitely like a classic femme fatale i don't love the character design but i, I do think she's like a fun addition to the cast and i like her personality usefulness in combat i also gave an a i think thieves in octopath are really useful because they can do damage with daggers and swords and also debuff the enemy yeah. which is super helpful I loved the thief in the first game. Loved him. Yeah, yeah he was awesome. And also Throne's ability to just buff at night without doing anything. And also being able to go twice is just sick. I could see this going up. I just think that sometimes thieves feel like they're doing more setup than payoff, but still really useful. Path ability, I gave an S. Uh, Throne can <laughs> knock people out so you can just go somewhere you couldn't have otherwise. And steal, which is like you show up in a new town with Throne and you just get like 20 new items with very wait, little wait. effort. Can we back up? So Please. you're telling me you're telling me that there are people who like blocking pathways into other areas or buildings or whatever, and you can just hit them and then knock them out and get access to them before you're supposed to. Kind of. Yeah, that's amazing. There might be like a, a house with a few like treasure chests in it and you'll the screen fades to black and she'll go like night night and then you wake up and the guard is dizzy and you can just walk in. Wow. 
That's amazing. <laughs> it's so cool. And stealing too is like, like every now and then there's an item that's like, you have a 10% chance of getting it. But most of the time you can steal pretty successfully. Although it's kind of sad. If you try to steal from children, they just have like candy and stuffed animals. I'm like, why would I do this? Oh, this is so Literally insane. stealing candy from babies. Yeah. Very upsetting. Yeah. <laughs> Story, I gave an A. I think Thorne's story so far is by far the darkest. Very much kind of like a primrose mm. energy here. I do really like the world building, and there's some really fun reveals, even in the first chapter, uh, for this sort of like underground society. I just think tonally, it's a bit of whiplash to go from like some of the more lighthearted ones to Thorne's. So that's why I, I, A is still very good, but I, I didn't want to give it the top rank. Um, but overall, Thorne averages out to an A+. Plus, so one mm. of the better cast members here. But next up. So it's kind of funny. I've noticed that the characters that are on the Eastern continent are the more kind of morally ambiguous ones. It seems mm. like they've kind of almost spread them out to make sense like in tone. Uh, which is kind of fun. So like if you start as Oswald, your next two friends are Throne and Temino. So I'll get to in a second. And it's like, yeah, it makes sense. These two adventure together mm. um, in the same way that Agnia and Particio yes. later on team up. But anyway, Temenos is the cleric. His character gets an S from me, Stephen. Temenos is unbelievable. I, I feel like if you look at him and see the pitch of his story, you might not think much. He is like a trickster priest that is in the middle of this like deep investigation into the actions of a church and also just like of the faith itself. So like it, he's he the way he acts feels like the setup of a villain, but he's just one of the characters. And his story begins with him messing up the lines of a play where he plays God and the devil. Just incredible. I love Temenos. He's an un, he's an unbelievable character. And also, I think it shows what I was saying before of like the fact that this kind of guy is a cleric shows them having fun with like the more traditional classes. Yeah. Uh, usefulness of combat, I gave an A. Uh, pretty straightforward clerics. I feel like they're helpful, um, but I imagine some of the characters that have classes where there's more setup but more payoff do better path ability i gave a b he can guide characters to follow them so a lot of the path abilities are like turning townspeople into summons through various means and every every character can have like one or two from what i've seen mm. um, but it's kind of funny because they also follow you when you're running around so like you have this like weird line of like 10 characters running across the map uh it's pretty amazing so b for for path ability and story i gave him an s because I just, I just love the setup to this mystery and just him as a character. He turns this weird like guard named Crick into his Watson and like Crick just like hates him and doesn't want to be there. It's so funny. That rules. Uh, yeah. Temenos is great. So overall A plus. Oh, Chet is next. Uh, character, I gave a B. She's the hunter um, and she's sort of on this like island and uh, it has like cat ears and is like a, a sort of animal human hybrid character i gave a b a lot of her vibe is that she's hungry uh, which doesn't do a lot for me but i do like her spirit usefulness in combat i gave an s the hunter ocha in this game is unbelievable she can use bows and also axes and has a bunch of hunter abilities that are cool like she can do a massive strike with the axe and buff herself but like in the first game she can capture beasts and then just use them like pokemon so if you have enough beasts at your disposal she basically has access to every move in the game and additionally she can turn those beasts 
into consumable items, essentially eating them, which can heal the party and also buff stats. So she can basically do everything. That's wild. That's so fucked up. <laughs> yeah, she's like maybe too good. I think she might be the best character in the game by like wow. a pretty significant margin. That's amazing. Path ability, I gave a C. Uh, she can just sort of like knock people. She can also knock people out, but it requires a fight, which I find, you know, I don't want to have to go through that effort. Mm. Um, and she can also befriend people by giving them items. So kind of like having summons, but she'll have to give them like jerky she made from a frog man or something. <laughs> it's, it's, it's fine. Story, I gave a B. I do like the Pokemon setup. She's essentially tasked with getting the three creatures of legend. And you also choose who your starter beast is. And the other one <laughs> kind of turns against you. So there's an owl and like a little fox. She really is just like playing her own little Pokemon. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. yeah it's as if one character was playing Pokemon or Dragon Quest V in the middle of, of a game. So Ochet's great. Average wise, she got a B plus because of some of the lower scores. But like she is my favorite character to use in battle. So big caveat there. Costi, the apothecary. This is, I think, the weakest story in the game. This is where it feels Ooh. like the first game. That's almost uh, who I picked as my as my first character. Yeah, so she, she looks that. cool. Like she has like a fun setup, and her story is very nautical. I'll give it that. But she has amnesia, which already is like an uphill battle. Oof, yeah. And there's really not, unlike Temenos, where his story is also a mystery, you at least have like a setup that you're like intrigued in the mystery, but I'm not that invested in like, who Casty is because she's already choosing to become the person she is so like that that just feels like eh, it's fine it's it's just sort of tedious to get through mm. the apothecary also like i gave her an a because i imagine that she'll get better but i remember the apothecary in octopath one feeling really good like alfin yeah. was sort of like a chat where he could concoct things to be anything in this game you can only make healing items so it, it kind of feels a little bit limited in that way mm. but i think she's still really useful and has a variety of moves that give her access to a lot of different attacks path ability is pretty good she can treat sick npcs which i don't know what that does uh, but i imagine it does something <laughs> and uh she can also just ask people for information and they'll give it to her if she's a high enough level so it's sort of like a better version of what oswald has hmm. um, so i gave her a b for the path ability story i gave a c leading kasi to have a c plus the lowest score amongst the eight sorry sorry kasi hikari the warrior Character S, useful in combat S, path ability A, story S, overall rating S. Hikari, I think, is the one to start with. He is so cool. Oh. I, lo I love his story. I love, uh, he's essentially the warrior character, but he's more of a samurai and his moves are more interesting. And he can also duel townspeople to learn their ability. Oh. So kind of like Ochet, there's this ability where you can kind of turn him into a blue mage and like give him moves that involve like arrows and fire and other things. It's a little bit of a traditional story of like he's very much like uh, the lead in Xenoblade 3 where he like wants to fight for peace in a warring kingdom. But mm. there's a hint that there's some uncontrollable darkness within him that I'm very intrigued by. Like whenever you use his limit break, which is really powerful, he comments on like not recognizing this part of himself, which I love. So Hikari is sick. Yeah, that's very interesting. Agnia, I love as a character. Uh, this is she, who I picked as my as my starter character. I'm curious if you're with me on this. Then her character, I gave an S. I think she's like so fun and so endearing. 
very much like a Ghibli protagonist. Usefulness in combat, I gave a B. I think she's pretty good, and I I, I haven't used her as much, so maybe this can go up too, but I just find that like only being able to buff one character at a time and then having the buff all be a limit break is a little bit underwhelming, and I find she doesn't really do a lot outside of buffing. The thing about all these characters is that you can customize them enough that they will be viable. I just think the dancer feels a little bit less powerful than in the first game, but... Mm. I, I think the big thing with Agnia for me is it's really dependent. So her whole thing is that she can recruit characters uh, yeah. in combat that you can just kind of like throw out on the battlefield and be like, all right, you're going to hang out here until you run out of mana, essentially. And uh, it's really dependent on who you recruit. Yeah, um, because I, I've recruited people that have been like absolute fucking duds where like I think that they're going <laughs> to you know be killer or whatever. And then I've had I've recruited people who are like the people who make the boss fight winnable for me. Um so Agni is definitely a give or take. It's really you just need to be very specific about who you're recruiting at any given time. Uh, but definitely, like, honestly, a weird pick for a starter character, I think, is my is my bigger issue. Yeah, I, I think she her story is so lighthearted. It's almost the opposite of Throne, where it's like if that's your introduction to the world, even Particio's story is much darker by comparison. So, like, yeah, right. I feel like she works as sort of like the random character you bump into better than the lead. Yes. Whereas I, I picked her because in, in the first game, I picked Tressa, who was the merchant. Right. Who, like, honestly was a great first character to pick. Yeah. Because her whole thing is, like, she just wants to see the world. Right. That was, like, her whole vibe is, like, she just wants to get out there. She wants to be the best merchant on the planet, which is, like, whatever. I'm more interested in her kind of, like, interest in just seeing what the world has to offer. And that made for a really interesting experience bumping into people and made it seem much more natural and fluid that she would be like, yeah, come along with me. I'm just trying to see what I can. Whereas Agnia doesn't really have that aspect of her character. Like her whole thing is that she just wants to go out into the world and then become the best dancer ever. But like, she very much wants to do that in places where they're like, is the ability to dance. And I don't know, I, j- I just didn't have that attachment as much. Yeah, so I gave her path ability an S because I love, like, the, the capability of summoning is big. And also, like, I love when you dance and they come out and, like, play music with her. It's yeah. such a fun detail. And also at night, she can just ask for stuff. Because people like her so much, they'll just give her they things. They just give her things. Which it's is amazing. hilarious. Yeah. So, yeah. Story I gave a B. I was kind of ready to write the story off because it's like the beginning is so positive. I was I could have sworn it was going to be like a dream she woke up from. But I'm like, oh, that's just her <laughs> life. Like everyone just loves her that much. Um, but I do. I did enjoy the, the um, sort of proving to herself and to the town that like she can do anything like I thought that was kind of sweet at least I think it was one of the stronger senses of character so like I think what's happening around her is like fine but I think because she's the lead I was more invested so overall Agnia gets an A but I agree I don't think she's the best one to start with and then last we have the guy in the fedora Particio despite having a fedora I gave him an A as a character I actually really liked him <laughs> I like that he's sort of a Robin Hood in the Wild West setting and it's fun usefulness in combat I gave a C I think the merchants kind of suck now I don't know maybe I'm totally wrong but I just feel like the abilities he has aren't especially helpful like his big thing as his latent ability fills up everyone's BP which is essentially their ability to go more than once which is that's great but I just find like maybe I just haven't used him enough but I I find him the most underwhelming to use so far yeah um, just I guess to frame maybe why I was a little bit more disappointed with my time with the demo those are the two characters that I yeah. played as um, which like I like them as people yeah i think i think that they're fun characters but they actually they actively made octopath travelers combat 
feel less engaging to me than in the first game because yes. they were the two characters that I was so focused on. Yeah, I gave his path ability an A because I, I think buying items and hiring people is a pretty straightforward and helpful thing to do. Story I also liked. I, I think it's a little bit like I don't know if I'm that interested in what happens next because this first chapter feels kind of complete. Mm. Um, but I gave it an A because I, I was invested in sort of like fighting the one percent. It was kind of fun. <laughs> and overall, he gets a B plus for me. So that's that's the full thing. Just to go through it real quick, Oswald got an A. Therone got an A plus, Temenos got an A plus, Achek got a B plus, Kosti got a C plus, Hikari S, Agnia A, Particio B plus. And all that to say, I think if you're going to start with someone, I honestly think they're all pretty good starters. I would say Kosti and Agnia are maybe weirder ones to begin the journey with. Mm, yeah. Thank you for that. We should yeah. we should split this out and like put it somewhere else also. Yeah, um, sure. Instead of just the the uh, third hour of this podcast. <laughs> I think this is helpful. I'm really curious to see how I feel like when I revisit it later in the game, if I was like totally wrong about everybody. Yeah. Uh, we'll see what happens. It does. It does make me want to just like erase my save file with the demo and pick somebody else. I think. <laughs> and just like start elsewhere and then pick up Agnia and, and uh, Particia later. Oswald's right there. You know, I think he's <laughs> he's waiting to get out of prison. Well, he's not your number one pick, Stephen. So I, I think I'll probably pick somebody else. I'll, I'll pick Hikari. He's not, yeah, I guess I guess Hikari. Hikari is awesome. Uh, I think he he just feels, I mean, very traditional lead of, of an RPG. I was happy to see that the warrior character, which is usually like the driest, had some really fun abilities. Yeah. And he's just cool. I like him. I love the warrior in the first game, though. What was his name? Albrick. Albrick, yeah. yeah. All their names spell out Octopath. And you can kind of tell when they ran out of ideas. <laughs> it's like, Do uh, they not in this game? They do. They still do, yeah. They do, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, that's Octopath 2. That's all I got for now. I great. will definitely great. Should we wrap up? Yeah, I think we should. I think that's it. That game, the, honestly, that sounds fun. Uh, I, I think I'll give the demo another shot at least. It may, maybe, maybe see how you feel starting as one of the other characters. I, I recommended. Yeah. Um, I think you might enjoy it more, especially combat wise. Like the other characters are more fun to play because the thing about dancers, they're so dependent, like you said, on the summons and on the rest of the party. And then the merchant also, those are both very supportive roles. Yeah. So when you just play them on their own, it's a little bit trickier to, to enjoy. Yeah. Um, I did, I did find Agnes first boss fight to be really fun though. It's, uh, the it's boar. the King Tusk yeah. from yeah, Wild Hearts. Yeah. <laughs> I do kind of like, that was one thing where I'm like, I kind of wish she proved like her will to herself in any other way than just killing a giant boar. Yeah. But you know, <laughs> it, it was a fun fight. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Her first chapter is still really fun. It is. Yeah. Uh, let's wrap up. Hey, Thank you for listening. Into the Cast at Online is your place to go for everything about the show. If you like the show, best way to help it grow is to share it with a friend. Uh, you can also review us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. If you really like the show and you're like, <laughs> give me more Oswald rankings, uh, you can support us on Patreon. Uh, like we said before, our 3DS episode is in the works. Very excited to share that. And uh, if you back the Patreon at a dollar, you'll have access to every episode we've made up until now. And that will remain the case. If you want to listen to the new ones, episodes after 3DS will be in the $5 tier. But all those episodes will remain there for dollar tier patrons. Yes. Uh, is there anything else that you want to shout out? Oh, Ocarina of Time bonus. I'm very, I love doing the show, but I think we used our latent ability and fully boosted to do the 3DS and Ocarina. <laughs> uh, I, I'm looking forward to kind of going back to a more normal schedule. 
Yeah. Oh, do you want to announce what our bonus for March is going to be then? Oh, yeah. Because yeah. it's March 1st, the day this episode's coming out. Our bonus, we've been planning our bonuses a bit farther in advance, which has actually taken the pressure off a bit, which I think we both enjoyed. Yeah. Because we can take our time playing it a little bit more and, and also not worry about what we're doing next month. But this March's bonus is going to be Super Mario All-Stars. That's right. Removing the Scooby-Doo villain mask, <laughs> revealing the same person underneath the mask. <laughs> <laughs> that's like when brian cranston cosplayed as walter white he yes. had like a walter white mask and then he took it off and it yeah was, it was amazing oh yeah surprise surprise uh i'm not just playing it for my health we're di- we're talking about it uh for for our march bonus uh which i think should be a really interesting episode because i have no idea what we're going to talk about or how we're going to talk about mario uh, yeah. but i think it'll be a fun conversation mario is one of the hardest things to talk about because it's like what do you say about you know vanilla ice cream it's yeah. Like, yeah it's really good dude but it tastes like the beans it was it was an intriguing idea to us because you had kind of organically been playing through a lot of lost levels and other mario games and we really enjoyed doing the super mario 3d all-stars episodes we're like why not do where it all began yeah the original all-stars and i also think i imagine this is a guess but i imagine it will be kind of a lighter shorter episode which i think we both could use and i'm sure you could also use so i I sometimes like looking at okay like what was the last bonus and how can we sort of provide a new energy in the next month yeah so i'm I'm excited to do something that's a little bit more experimental a little bit lighter yeah a little bit lighter yeah yeah a little bit shorter and then in april we're gonna do infinite jest (laughs) yeah (laughs) the video game i'm sure i'll come with like a weird excel spreadsheet about all the marios we played and it will still be four hours but yeah we'll see what happens uh the year of birdo can continues uh oh yeah very very excited about it yeah cool. i don't even know i don't even know what's coming out or what i'm interested in playing for the next week so i i couldn't give you a single hint as to what next week's episode will be like i will probably hold back from doing more Octopatsu unless i have much more to say but i think i've made my pitch for that game already a smash cut to you finishing the game before <laughs> next weekend somehow <laughs> And one of the reviews I've read for Octopath 2, which there are a lot of great ones on, you know, both sides of like thinking it's like the sequel that we needed and thinking it's maybe not enough. Um, The final boss is apparently like ridiculously hard, but the person who beat it was like, I like made a spreadsheet and pulled it off and felt like so satisfied. Mm. So I'm excited to see if I eventually get there. Yeah. I mean, you're already making a spreadsheet. (laughs) This is the kind of game that makes you make spreadsheets for better or for worse. (laughs) Wow. That's great. Yeah. yeah, I'm probably going to be playing a lot more Ishin this week if I was to guess. Very cool. Oh, the other thing I'll shout out uh, at the end of the episode uh, is, is I have, I have music that's out that I released yeah. recently. Uh, you can find it at sleepbuddy.online. It's literally, uh, like a two hour long album, uh, of ambient music to help you fall asleep. And there's uh, more coming. I'll probably talk about it more, uh, at that's some amazing. point, but you can check that out there. Uh, it's available for streaming on all major music platforms. And then you can also get it uh, on Bandcamp or listen to it on YouTube via a 10 hour YouTube video, like all those other ones. Congrats on sharing that with the world. It's amazing. Thank you. I've been working on it for a weirdly long time. Um, yeah, so that's exciting. But that's, I guess, probably the, the, the last link I'll leave you with is that. Hell yeah. The last link. The last link. Oh my God. Is that what Tears of the Kingdom is? Uh, <laughs> oh, we'll no. talk about that in May. Hell Thank yeah. you so much for listening to this much longer episode than I think either of us expected. Sorry. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Worst garbage, the online.